And as we come together in this manner of just being with the breath, there's two activities that are occurring repeatedly that we might not notice as activities. One is that we're coming into a kind of stillness that Sally made reference to this morning in her guided meditation, coming into a kind of stillness. Stillness of the body and stillness of the mind. At the same time, in that stillness, we are repeatedly going towards an object. We are taking the mind's capacity for attention and we are repeatedly going towards an object. The object for most of us has been and continues to be the breath. So there is the stillness of body. There's some sort of inner stillness. And then there's this movement of attention to the object. We are referring to this movement in terms of the mental quality, the mental act of vataka and vachara. This aiming that leads to a connection and then the sustaining of that connection. Both of those are movement. And the first one, there is an alignment with the object such that the attention, this capacity of attention meets it. And then secondly, there's a, there's a, a movement of renewal of attention such that it stays with it. Uh, some of you that I've seen individually, we have worked in, on the felt sense of this. And I encourage all of you to notice the felt sense of what it's like, this movement towards and then the continuing of attention on, this rubbing, this stain, sustaining, this resting. Uh, the one person said today that uh, for them, they were still, the mind was still settling in, so they were like sort of pressing a bit. On the, it felt like they were pressing a bit more than resting on the object. So again, I suggest for each of you that you explore the felt sense, what it feels like in the mind, this movement, towards this neutral object, more or less neutral object. Again, not so neutral for everyone, but more or less this neutral object. So, stillness and movement. A kind of knowing of the object and an object. So the object is the breath and there's a knowing of the object. These are two flows that are occurring. Someone asked today about a seemingly paradox in terms of just receiving the breath in this vataka and vachara. The, the, the receiving is receiving the knowing. It's an active receptivity. The, there's an applying of attention so that, that what it's a directed knowing it's being narrowed, funneled towards this one object, but the actual experience of knowing is a receiving of the knowing. It's a receiving. Breath feels like this. Contacting the breath feels like this. That first contact, ah, that's breath. That's breath. Breath feels like this. And then at the sustained feeling of the feeling of breath, the characteristics of breath reveal themselves. Much of our work are, has been on reaching that object because it's not always that easy to remember and to, that we want to reach it and then to actually do it, be able to do it, and then not so easy to stay with it. So therefore, that's been much of our work. But it's equally important, this knowing, this knowing to the qualities of the knowing one way we can experience the qualities of knowing is in the qualities of the vataka and the vachara, as I've just said. 
And then there is just knowing the knowing as a phenomena, that sense of knowing. This can seem subtle. This can seem um, uh, not so relevant if we're still struggling to find the object and stay with the object. I understand that. But at the same time, a, a, a more developed understanding of this knowing process and what the mind is like in the knowing can help us stay with the object. So it can actually help uh, bring us more uh, into samadhi through this samatha process. Or at least that is what I have found to be true for myself. I was at this same, um, the, the second of the two retreats that Park Seidel did, that, that Pat and, uh, and Sally have both referred to. It's going to sound like if you weren't there, you missed all of life or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I was only there for a month. And it tells you something about a retreat when someone says, well, I was only there for a month <laughs> in terms of the length of the retreat and all. And there's a couple of things that, uh, that occurred that um, I would share with you this evening. And I'm not quite sure which couple they're going to be, by the way. <laughs> so we're going to find out together. I, I would start, I suppose, with the fact that he was sick. He had a cold. And he sat with us repeatedly throughout the day. He sat one and a half hour, sits with us throughout the day. And I was so inspired by that. I was so inspired. And they sat with their back turned to us. And so he was looking at the Buddha and um, uh, it, it took getting used to. But then again, that became part of the inspiration. It's his, his uh, willingness, his ability to do that, that he was sitting with us so much in all of this. His style, which comes from this book that, again, uh, Pat or Sally, was, or, or, or I'm not sure, maybe it was Kamala, referred to the Vasudhi Maga. It is straight from this ancient text that was written uh, uh, about uh, oh, 500 years or so, maybe longer after the Buddha's death. And, uh, and it's got a very proscribed way of doing all of these practices. And when Sally was referring to the 40 different uh, meditation objects, that shows up there. So that was his style. It's not my style. It's just not my style of practice. And yet I was very, very uh, inspired to practice by this. And so he wanted the, uh, the breath known just at the upper lip, right at the tip of the nostrils, and to know it for an hour and a half at a time. It's not that easy to do, to have continuity <laughs> on one object for that long. And yet I was, I was quite willing to do his practice because I was so inspired by him. And then uh, each day we had these um, interviews, these little short a practice discussion meetings. They could be very, very, very short. But some people could stay in there for 30 minutes. <laughs> and everybody had to wait around, and so everybody would get backed up uh, with this. And some of my friends were the cause of those long, <laughs> those long interviews. And so uh, at one point, uh, someone said that, uh, that the side I was comfortable that if you didn't have anything to report, to not go. So there came a time, a kind of dead time in the retreat. Do any of you know about those dead times where it's, everything's flat? So I didn't go. And I had a yoga job that uh, I could do throughout the day. And so uh, I would sit and then I would do my yoga job a lot. And I liked doing my yoga job because at least I knew this was useful. <laughs> And it felt really good. So I was kind of relaxed with this whole thing. So we, the retreat was kind of going along okay, despite the flatness. And then one day, I, I turned the corner because doing my yoga job, and there he's standing right in front of me. And he goes, where, where have you been? 
<laughs> and I was like, <laughs> this was a bit unexpected. I was not at my best. <laughs> and I, I tried to explain that, well, I had, uh, we were having some limited English on his part, and of course, uh, no ability for me in his language. I explained that I had not had anything to report. He says, today, five o'clock, or whatever time it was, today, five o'clock. So I bowed, and that was that. And, and, then, and then we went on. And um, at one point, uh, my concentration developed qu- quite a bit. Again, it's not, because I, uh, I am of this total, it's the, the, the relaxed, relaxed mind that softens into this contented mind is my orientation. Like this, this uh, 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 the applying of effort, the resolve, isn't my style, but I was applying the resolve and all this, and it was it was developing uh, 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 quite well. But I could not get to an hour and a half, and so one day, out of nowhere, I said, "I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Buddha." <coughs> And my mind got into full swing of concentration for a period of time. But I did not make it for an hour and a half. But, uh, so that day, I go in and I say, you know, I report. Because these, these are very, sh- my reportings were very short. Because I didn't, I didn't have any questions. I was just, anyway. So I, I reported that I'd done this, and then I, my, my concentration was faltering, and that's what I did. He goes, oh, good, and whatever, I'm using my language here, but he was very happy with that, and he says, so uh, take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma, and then you'll do it for, for the whole hour and a half. <laughs> I'm very skeptical of this. You know, I, was, I appreciated the little pat on the shoulder, but I didn't want an additional assignment. So... There I go, <laughs> next day, repeatedly getting to a certain point. And if I didn't get to a certain point, I didn't bother to take refuge because there was not, I just didn't feel enough momentum for that. But uh, a couple of sits, it reached the point where I, 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 could, I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Buddha. I felt the strengthening. It'd go for a while, then it started faltering. I take refuge in the Dhamma, I take refuge in the Dhamma. And it strengthened again. So, there we go. But I couldn't make it for an hour and a half. <laughs> so here I go back in again. Report the same thing again. He goes, uh, did you take refuge in the Sangha? I said, no. He says, that's what you needed to do. Take refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha and you'll do it. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so off I go again. <laughs> and this, this whole thing. And um, a number of days I tried doing all three, and I, it helped, but it did not get me there. What finally did get me there was that I sort of included my own personal approach and where I, I spent, I would, I would relax more into it, and I would just soften into the experience, and I was not holding, as I understood it, it was almost like a, it was almost like narrowing, it was like a one-pointed meditation kind of approach and uh, as opposed to this just letting it settle into the one-pointedness that there was a deliberateness of that and so I went more with my little way of doing it and on occasion I actually was able to do that which was uh, uh, satisfying to me I was
So, um, um, in the course of that retreat, in that uh, intensive practice that way, uh, a couple of things happened that uh, were unusual for me, and that I had uh, two instances of what I would call body healing that felt like it was an, uh, an outside Someone was like working, doing some sort of body work, like you're, you know, with some sort of a, uh, uh, some sort of a, you know, therapeutic person, a physical therapist. Once on my lower back, and once on this uh, long, injured left shoulder, and it was it it was a very physical experience of the body. And uh, I would say that this experience occurred because of two things. One, because of the degree of concentration that I had, and two, the degree of inspiration I had. That I was available for this, that the spontaneous, the body is its own healing resources, we all know. If, if the body didn't heal itself, we'd all die quite early. It's, we appreciate Western medicine and Eastern medicine, but in the end, mostly the body heals itself. Not for everything, but for so many things. I, you know, our wonderful ability to heal and th- th- that this body has. And so um, I was, I of course, was uh, interested in that and grateful for that, but not like, I did not have greed. Like the first time that had happened, I didn't want it to happen again. I didn't think about it happening again one way or the other. And when it happened the second time, again, there was no, there was no like, oh, was, what would happen? What would be more of this or something? I didn't have that kind of interest because what I was interested in was the very thing we're doing here. I wanted to uh, uh, develop my skill to bring the mind to a, a single point. I wanted to continue to develop that, and I wanted to learn it in this new style so that I would round out my ability to do this as a practitioner. I was there as a practitioner, but well knew that if whatever I learned, I would share with others as best I could, and I have and do still do that. So, what becomes obvious when you spend a long time doing this is that there is an object, and the arbitrariness of the object in most respects. Again, as Sally mentioned, you can bring full concentration to any single experience, externally or internally, in my at least everyone I've encountered thus far, <coughs> you can bring a degree of, of a connecting and sustaining experience. To any experience. What is that recognition factor? What is that recognition? What is this knowing? There has to be knowing, as I've said, for you to be with the object. There has to be knowing. So we can be interested in the object. We can be very, uh, <coughs> uh, feel the effects of the mind resting on the object. And at that point, we can also notice what is this nature of this knowing? What is the nature of this knowing? Likewise, even while we're doing it, when it's uneven, we can still take time to, to notice the nature of this. One word that can be used to describe this, this knowing, is awareness. And... Um, uh, Upasaka Ki, this uh, wonderful lay Thai woman of the 20th century, she was a, a, a wonderful teacher, and uh, there's all sorts of books of hers that you can look up on Google, Upasaka Ki. And she says, awareness is an inward staying. It's an inward staying, unentangled knowing. An inward staying, unentangled knowing. So the knowing is inward staying. It's not going out to the object. It's just a knowing. 
and it's unentangled with the object. Makes sense in a way. So this capacity to know comes from this awareness that is an unentangled knowing. It's a capacity to know that's independent of what's being known. That's what mindfulness uses for us to, to be mindful. We are, we are utilizing this capacity of knowing to be mindful of something and, and the way that we can mind, be mindful of so many different aspects of it. So when we, when we start to see this knowing that's occurring around, of an object, we're knowing an object, we can get um, interested in what does this knowing feel like, this felt experience that we've pointed to so many times. What does it feel like, this, this knowing? This is from, uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, from Ajahn Chah's, and it's from his book, Food for the Heart. One who wishes to reach the Buddha Dharma must firstly be one who has faith or confidence as a foundation. To do this kind of work, to sit here for 10 days, you have to at least think there's some possibility that you're going to get something out of it. (laughs) And that's all the faith we need. We don't need this huge uh, 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 construct of faith, just enough faith that it's possible that something may be, uh, 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 that would be arise for us, that would be obtainable, a, a kind of a, 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 I use this word attainable rather than achieving, because it's not, the self achieves, achieves, but this attainment occurs because of the practice, but we don't actually do the attaining in my language. So one who wishes to reach the Buddha Dharma must firstly be the one who has faith or confidence as a foundation. We must understand the meaning of Buddha Dharma as following. Buddha, the one who knows, the one who has purity, radiance, and peace in the heart. Purity, radiance, peace in the heart. When we get interested in that which knows the object, we start to feel that peace, that radiance, that purity. That's why when the mind gets settled on the object, it feels so good. The mind is coming back to itself. The mind is knowing itself in its pure form. And it's so satisfying. It is so satisfying. The mind has come back to itself. It is, it is, it is, it is knowing itself. And when I say itself, I'm not making it like an object uh, it's not a thingness that I'm pointing to here. It's that the knowing is knowing, knowing. That's nice and simple, huh? <laughs> so Buddha, the one who knows, the one who has purity, radiance, and peace in the heart. Dharma, the characteristics of purity, radiance, and peace, which arise from morality, concentration, and wisdom. Therefore, one who is to reach the Buddha Dharma is one who cultivates and develops morality, concentration, and wisdom within themselves. Wisdom would be the Vipassana practice, concentration, the Samadhi practice, and purity, the sila, the precepts that we took, and uh, the part of the Eightfold Path that has to do with sila, with ethical behavior. So he goes on, and... Uh, he says, about this mind, this is still Ajahn Chah speaking, about this mind, in truth, there's nothing really wrong with it. It is intrinsically pure. Within itself, it's already peaceful. That's what we discover. That's that feeling, that's feel, those little moments of well-being that you've had. Just even no matter if it's, you know, a breath and a half, that's that inherent peace. Sometimes we don't even feel it. We only get the foreshadowing of it. There's some, you come in and say, well, I know I've not had anything really arise, but there's been this feeling at times, and there's, you know, there's some sort of vague reference. That's that taste of this, this intrinsically pure mind. He goes on, this mind of ours is already unmoving. 
unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful, just like a leaf which is still as long as no wind blows. So the mind is peaceful and still, just like a leaf if no wind is blowing. If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. The fluttering is due to those sense impressions. The mind follows them. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. It's that simple. <laughs> so, when we come into a moment of stillness. The stillness is in the mind. And yet, again, going back to the question this morning, there is still movement towards the object. The, the object is being known in its movement from this place of stillness. This is a little subtle, it's a little opening to a larger feeling of this. I'm really wanting to invite you into the knowing of stillness. So you can sit in stillness, in this relaxed body, bringing the mind, bringing the body to stillness. So first you come into the body, just as we've done so uh, reverently over and over again, I think every instructional sit, each teacher has brought us into the body in their own way. So we come into the body and we discover stillness in the body. And we relax the body because in relaxing the body, we are signaling to the nervous system to let the activity of mind be still also. We're coming more into the natural state of mind. And then the mind becomes still. And in that stillness, the, this flow of attention, like a spotlight, attention being like a spotlight, is shown on an object. That is where the movement is. So stillness and movement. T.S. Eliot describes it he says confidently here. T.S. Eliot describes it, the stillness as in a Chinese jar moves perpetually in its stillness. You know the design of a, of a Chinese jar, that beautiful design there's movement in it, but that jar is not moving. That design in its two-dimensional reality is not moving, but to the eye there is a movement in it. In that same way, there is movement, that the movement registers in the stillness of mind. Eliot earlier says, at the still point of the turning world, the still point of the turning world, stillness and movement. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, there the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement, neither stopping nor movement. And do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point, there would be no dance, and there is only the dance. There is a still point in our minds. There is stillness in the mind. We access that more by becoming still in the body and letting the attention be still. So rather than moving the attention around all over the place, let the attention be still and let sense impressions blow through, like the wind blowing the leaf. So there you're with the breath. The breath isn't a moving object, right? It's not really still. So we, we are not on a still object when we're being with the breath. The breath is moving, but the attention is, can be quite still in a very relaxed way. It's very relaxed. It's not, um, 
It's not tense, like is something going to get me kind of way. It's, it's relaxed. Why does this matter so much? Because the breath and the nervous system are so closely attuned. As all of you know, if your nervous system gets excited, the breath gets excited. You can tell by the breath, right? Everybody knows that. And if you calm the breath, you can calm the nervous system. People say, oh, take a few breaths, or take a deep breath, or take some slow breaths, all to calm the nervous system. But likewise, if you calm the nervous system, the breath gets calm. Very closely linked. That's why it's, uh, it's as an object, I think it's, um, a very uh, a unique object for our attention in this way rather than a color a stone or something like this because it has this close connection to the nervous system. So we can, we can invite our attention to be still and we first we know stillness by knowing stillness in the body and then we, as we turn attention to an object like the breath, we just hold that stillness in the, the actual attention and then things come towards it in this way. Therefore, in that sense, we are resting in stillness. We're resting in stillness. And there's many layers of resting in stillness. We can get way back into resting in the whole field of awareness. But for our purposes, what matters right now is just to be to just be still, just be still with the the way we're paying attention. That is the one pointedness coming from stillness, but an ease of coming from stillness. At the end of the you know, time that I was with uh, Pax and say two things happened, since a Pax-Sada shows my other training. Um, uh, one thing is that last night there, um, after he had sat with us, I continued to sit. So I was sitting very much in gratitude and just really settled in myself. And I kept having this little nagging thing happening. And it was like, you know, there's somebody there or something. And this was my first thing was, you know, a little like, Oh, there goes the there goes the concentration, you know. But then I said, "Was it possible somebody's there?" Because it's such a strong feeling. And so I opened my eyes and I looked around, and there he stood. He had been standing there for some number of minutes, waiting for me to feel his presence, because he wanted to offer me a book. He just wanted to offer me a book. And I, of course, was so moops, no, no more. <laughs> I was so moved by that. And um, it, the, the fact that I could feel his presence, even because in the stillness, it, it's in that stillness that our intuition, our senses are almost heightened. So there's many advantages to uh, discovering that stillness. That stillness is so related to this jhana factor that we have not discussed so much, which is this ekagata or ekagata, this this one pointed, uh, this one pointed equanimity in its mature form. It's a one pointed equanimity. So there's the two that we can actively work with: the movement, the the connecting and the sustaining the vitaka and vachara, and there's the piti that's. That's this kind of uh, rapt attention, this pleasure, this um, uh, rapture that arises, this big energy, and then this uh, feeling of well-being, of contentment, the sukha, and then dropping away from all of that is this equanimity, this one-pointed uh, equanimity of ekagata and upeka kind of feeling. So it's, it's very calm and balanced. That upeka feeling, which is always there, in the, from the very first dropping into absorptions, it's is is its own universe, it's its own world, and one of the characteristics of it is the mind's not going anywhere; it's just still. So in all the movement, there is the stillness. That's back to your paradox this morning. The stillness is always there, 
pure mind is always there. This, this, uh, the ability to know this whole unfolding is resting back in an empty stillness in this way. You're not supposed to go, oh yeah, that makes sense, bang, bang, I got that. But rather to open to the mystery of your own experience, to the mystery of your own mind. As each of us are practicing, we are doing this very uh, thing that's fairly close to the surface of staying with the breath. But we're actually connecting to the very deepest of our experiences. We're aligning in such a way that if we just keep dropping in, dropping in, dropping in, the unfolding of the deepest knowing. The Dhamma is good in the beginning, the Buddha says, good in the middle, and good in the end. From the beginning, we are connecting to the, the, the very uh, essence of, the, of, of nature, of, of Buddha nature, of, of nature itself, the nature of this mind, this kind of knowing. So I was, um, the next morning I got up to leave from the retreat and I was cleaning my room very dutifully, uh, cleaning my room, sweeping and everything, and I heard this, nobody ever knocks on the door on the retreat center. So I, I knew that I was hearing somebody next door doing something, so I ignored it. Can't be. Ignored it. So I go over and open the door. And here stands this fellow. And he says, he bows. And I'm just, he's, it's a fellow yogi. I'm just sort of like there in shock. And he says, I know you're leaving today, which was news to me that he would know I was leaving. He says, I know you're leaving today, and I just want to thank you for being here. And I'm just looking, at none of this is making any sense to me. And he says, the, the whole time you've been here, you're the only person who laughed. When something funny happened in the dining hall, you laughed. <laughs> and he says, it was such a relief to me. And I, so, I, so when he bowed again, and I just bowed, I never opened my mouth because I'm keeping the silence right. So I finished cleaning the room, and I have my bag, and I'm pulling my bag along and going out, leaving the center, and here comes this woman. Another, again, another yogi with me on the retreat. She was still there. And she comes up and she says, I just want to thank you. Same kind of thing. And, and, and again, I'm just kind of looking. I'm now speaking, but she's not supposed to be speaking, so I don't say anything. And she says, because you seem to be having so much fun, <laughs> it gave me permission to have fun. And uh, I, uh, some words like that. And again, I just bowed. I didn't know what to say. The reason I'm telling you this aspect of the story is to remind you once again, it's very important to have fun. This I was doing a very hard practice. I didn't have uh, Pat's admirable five months that he gave himself to do this practice. And so I, was, I felt the pressure, but I did not let myself be defined by the pressure because I'd had so much retreat experience that was possible for me. But this is only 10 days, and we're not like, you don't have to come in and report every day whether or not you stayed with your breath for an hour and a half. <laughs> so... Uh, the importance of having fun. It is fun to be with the breath when we relax into it. It's fun because the breath itself is interesting, and interesting in part because of this connection to the nervous system. Interesting in all sorts of ways. There's other traditions that I trained in where that was a whole exploration this connection of breath and nervous system. So it's really, it's really a juicy thing if it's okay for you to use as an object. If there's been a certain amount of trauma around breath, it may not be that easy. Really acknowledge that. So that's interesting. But even more interesting is this capacity of mind, this ability that knows. What's knowing the object? What is that's knowing the object? So... Um, we have, uh, we start out, there's a, there's a me, 
Here I am, I'm practicing. There's a you, there you are practicing. There you are, you're practicing. There's a you. And over here is an object, the breath. And bridging that is this knowing of the object. So there you are, you, the knowing, and the object. Everybody understand that? If you do, nod your head, please. Okay, good, thank you, I need that reinforcement. <laughs> then over time, the sense of, uh, the sense of the you that's knowing the object starts to fade back. So there's knowing and the object, but there's not so much of a self around it. That's already getting closer to the intrinsic nature of mind. There's knowing and there's an object. You're still in there somewhere. And if you go looking for you, you'll have no trouble finding yourself. <laughs> but now there's knowing and the object. Then and at some point, the, 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 uh, the sense of the knowing can get so unified with the object that there's only a sense of the object. There's just the breath, and you're not necessarily... Uh, the, the knowing and the object have become one. And you go, wow, that, that can feel so good. But beyond that, the object completely drops away. There is no breath, and there's only knowing. Only knowing. And that is a very um, new experience. The knowing is knowing, knowing. Knowing is knowing itself. There's a kind of coming home. Very satisfying experience. Uh, uh, rising on its own. I mention this because uh, not to uh, invite striving or wistful thinking or envy or anything like that, but because sometimes we don't really own, uh, in a way that would create inspiration for practice, the wonderful uh, um, experiences that are available to us in this, in this practice, the way we're giving it. You can have a little moment, a little foreshadowing of this knowing. It... it very easily, very easily. Just a little foreshadowing, not the whole thing, but just a little thing of this knowing. And the knowing can be, uh, can be explored in its stillness. It can be explored in its emptiness. It can be ex explored in how quiet it is. So quiet. So quiet. I felt as though Sally this morning was really evoking that those possibilities in in her her meditation, and tomorrow morning we will do we will do a little more of this. Even knowing can drop away. So there's no active. The knowing is there, but there's no knowing of the knowing. Only after. You come out of that space, you know that you've been knowing. Because there's, there's knowing, but there's nobody there to know anything. There's no, it's completely empty of anything except this knowing capacity. That's how, that's how we're capable, we human beings, in all of our limitations of that level of, of reaching a kind of stillness. Again, whether or not any of us achieve that or not, matters less than the, this, this testimony of a number of people who would have experienced this through the centuries. And it's not that rare. It's not like, it's not like becoming a Buddha. It's not like that. It's, it's just dropping into a level of knowing the mind. At that single moment of starting over with the breath, of starting where you are, you're sleepy, and you're, you're starting over with the breath, or you're grumpy, and you're starting over the breath, or you're really on a roll, and you're starting over with the breath. In that single moment, you're connecting to this whole um, unrevealed experience. It is uh, honorable in that way. You are, you are the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. You are the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. In the same way, it may help you tomorrow to see what happens if you say, I take refuge in the Buddha. 
some of you probably had already figured that out on your own. Hmm, let's see if that works for me. Um, you can try that. You can say, I take refuge in the Buddha. That's not a belief. That's not saying, oh, I believe in the Buddha. That's, not, that's, that's a God. The Buddha was not a God. It's not that kind of, it's, it's not that mindset. It's a different mindset. It's this, the one who knows, that which knows, this capacity of knowing, this radiant, a still quality of mind. I take refuge in this, this radiant, still quality of mind that one person uh, experienced so fully and that others have experienced so fully. I take refuge in that because that is my heritage. That is, that is my very nature. I take refuge in that. Just, and again, taking refuge in that possibility. And I take refuge in the Dhamma, this, 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 this ability to know how things are, the nature of things, the true nature, that it's like this, that it's like this, it's like this. So the, knowing any moment that this is the breath, that knowing is reflected back to itself. And so in that knowing of that inhale, really all knowing is there. It's holographic in its... Um, in its uh, tweaked apart form. All knowing, all knowing is occurring. And that moment when there's not greed or hatred or delusion around that knowing of a breath, in that moment, you are the Buddha knowing the Dharma. Your mind is pure. You're not wanting anything. You're not grasping after anything. You're not aversive to anything. You're not deluded, thinking you're something special or someone else is something special. We're all just like this. And we're at that moment, Buddha knowing the Dhamma. So taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the Dhamma, taking refuge in the Sangha. Here we are, all sitting here together, day after day. You know, uh, Pat did uh, the loving kindness for everybody in the room. Yeah, thank you. Each thanking the other, this well wishing to the other. So taking refuge in that, you know, I'm being available. I'm being available for the Dhamma in being with this breath. If you want to check yourself the other way, you're sitting here doing this practice. And it's not supposed to feel special all the time. It's not that's it's not like that. It's just this is just regular. But you can say, here I am. Am I available to the Dhamma? Am I available to the Dhamma? A lot of times, I do this a lot, not just on retreat. I do this in my daily life. And a lot of times the answer is nope. <laughs> not at this moment. <laughs> it would have to knock me on the side of the head because I'm busily, you know, focused on something that is, that's task-oriented or I'm in a reactive mind state. On retreat, there's less uh, things to pull us into doing, uh, less things to get us into uh, from outside stimuli. That's why it's so important to protect each other's space. Uh, otherwise, we get pulled out of ourselves. So we can actually be available to the Dhamma. And everybody here being available to the Dhamma as best they can, uh, that helps us be available. Oh, so it's, it's more important, rather than comparing how am I doing to someone else, it's like, oh, I've got all this company. I've got all this company. All of this energy in this room is going to this one-pointedness. Just right at this morning, um, yeah, during the guided set, I was just so aware of the quietness of the room. And somebody, uh, was that, uh, one of the staff people, came in and sat with you at the 2.30 sit, and the staff person was talking about how, how moved he was by your stillness. And he was just so appreciative. And he was saying, I feel a little bit, you know, like, oh, am I, am I too fast for your stillness? Am I, you know, and just, that, just so moved by, by just by what, what we are together creating. So we are having a singular experience each of us has to do this journey alone. Nobody can do it for us, but we're doing it together. So we're alone together. And in making the journey, that is where 
as, as, as we are there having the experience of being in this unknown together, that is where the bond is. And then we are, so we're not alone, and yet we are alone. It's again one of these paradoxes that, again, Sally referred to this morning. We are alone and we're together. We enter our, Thich Nhat Hanh says, we enter our. And sitting here, we're all in this web of awareness, this field of awareness. You're a little pod, I'm a little pod, he's a little pod, he's a little pod, she is, she is, she is, he is. We're all this, this, this awareness, is, we're in this field of awareness, having our own individual experience. And as we relax into, we just stay there with the breath, we're letting that awareness join the whole. So we're joining the whole together in this way. One Final thing about this equanimity, this this one-pointedness. You can have a lot of equanimity and not realize that you've got the equanimity because equanimity means balance. You may not have calm, but you are equanimous in regard to the disturbances. So Sally last night made reference to my... uh, proclivity to say not perturbed by perturbances not disturbed by disturbances it just it's a ripple moving through a still pond it moves through last however long it lasts if it's a big rock or maybe there's a bunch of rocks so there's a bunch of ripples and it's going every which way but the innate nature of that still pond is its stillness and so the equanimity that balance of mind can be present uh, and if we recognize it, that reinforces its uh, development. The recognition is of value. It serves your practice. It serves Buddha nature, if, if I may use that word, the, the, the nature, uh, to this awareness touching it, our own knowing, oh, there is equanimity here. And that equanimity reflecting the, the, the stillness of the mind in that way. So be interested in the, the equanimity you have. Be interested in the calm, of course, too. But the equanimity and these calm together in, in that way. Be interested. Be, just be available to it. And when there's any degree of one-pointedness, notice it. So in the, the, the very vataka, the very aiming Every person I talked with in their own language reported a kind of a narrowing of attention. That is the beginning of the one-pointedness. So you're on the journey to that one-pointedness to just be on the breath. It really helps to notice. I actually am doing this. I actually am aiming. There is some degree of my moving towards this single object. So it may be wavering, it may not last very long, I may not make the contact, but there is no question that I know that I know, not just that I know, but I know I know. The second level of the knowing is so, uh, has so much forward momentum in it. I know I know that I am I'm moving towards this object. That's confidence building, that's affirming, and it's the truth. It's the truth. Check it for yourself. I mean, it's easy to see. You know, it's really true. I am, I am moving towards the breath. I'm, I'm not moving towards, I wonder what I'm going to do next week. Other moments, you can't say that, of course. But in this moment, and there's a number of those moments, indeed, you are narrowing your field of attention to a single object as best you're able. That the uh, shaping, this malleability, you are shaping your mind towards breath. You're shaping the mind. So notice that. Notice that feeling, that, that one-pointedness that's already starting. And again, notice it from the stillness, there is this movement. This dance between the stillness and the movement. Stillness makes no sense without movement. And movement makes no sense without stillness. Without the contrast, we wouldn't understand what the word means. All of life has movement in it. If you're completely still, you are dead. But if there was no stillness, we would all be stark raving mad. 
Buddha Dasa talks about nibbana that way. He says that we have all of these little, these little moments of nibbana that we don't recognize, and that without it we just couldn't stay sane, because that we we need these pauses, we need these still points, and there's a whole term for it, and and. Um, in uh, Buddhist psychology that I don't want to go into tonight, about that the the in between points between a thought or any stimuli registering that the mind has these still points all the time, which that's, I call it interstitial time when there's just stillness, there's nothing going on, nothing going on, and that's the mind resting back in itself. You're all quite sane. You're all quite capable of focusing attention. So you are you are. You are utilizing your innate nature. Give yourself a little more pat on the back, a little more, yeah, I want to be more available to this. Interested in each of these in whatever way. So let's sit for a moment. Don't do anything for this moment, just be. The breath will reveal itself when you just be. Is that not true? Now deliberately turn your attention to the breath. Is it not true that you can narrow your attention such that it is moving towards and uh, taking the shape of knowing breath. It's not knowing other things, and it's intent, it's knowing breath. Just be once again, just be. No doing. Can you feel the stillness when there's no doing? Just three seconds. Don't think. Empty the mind. Just stop. And in that stopping, you can feel the stillness. Just be here now. The stillness is always with us. The silence is always with us among the noise. The outward sound and the inner sounds, there is always the silence, just as there is always the stillness. Just be.
Thank you for your attention. When we do our walking practice, we're of course moving and the knowing is still. You can discover this in walking just as you can discover it in sitting. Please do take time for a little walking and uh, people seem more rested now so maybe more of you are available to uh, join in the, the last sit of the evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.